Greetings again, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. Um, we are going to be in Joshua today. We're going to be in both Joshua 5 and 6. Um, so you can find Joshua 5, verse 13, if you want to start following along. But I recognize in the announcements, I didn't give an update on uh, how things are at our house. Many of you have been praying all week long for Elia, our middle daughter, 12-year-old, 12-year-old who's still in the hospital today, um, has been all week. And um, I appreciate that uh, I worship with a group of people that we are comfortable enough that I can have a nice ugly cry at the beginning of the service over all that God has done. God is good. Isn't God good? And I'm going to have a little more now, I suppose. Hold on. <laughs> so I recognize that I'm preaching today, even though she's still there, because that's not because... Uh, you all wouldn't let me off this Sunday. I know that you would have. It was my own bullheadedness that said I can do this. But I'm excited about the text this morning, and I hope you are too. Um, and I will say as one more thing on what's going on with Ellie. I'm going to leave fairly shortly after the service because uh, we think she can come home today, but it will require all hands on deck. So I won't be with you much longer after the service to go help. She's in Omaha, so we're hoping she'll be home today. She did express her thanks that you all have been praying to and that she's genuine in that. She's thankful for this. I'm thankful for a place where we can support each other like this. We have felt very supported. Thank you. Let's read from the text this morning because my hope and prayer isn't that I'm so great a preacher, but that God reveals himself in his word to us this morning. May that be our prayer. So we're going to break up this text. Uh, it's where they go to Jericho and finally take Jericho. And actually, we're going to get into that next week as well as we get into Joshua 7. But Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15 is what we'll read right this moment. Keep your Bible open or your app open because we'll go into 6 in a moment. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us? or for our enemies. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever in your life of prayer or in your life in general, asked God for clarity. God, I don't know what's next. I need clarity. God, I need some direction. Have you ever asked God for that? Just give me a word. Maybe it's a moment of confusion. Maybe it's a moment of desperation, even depression, despondency. Maybe it's a moment of joy where you know that something's next and you want to honor God with your next decision. Have you ever wanted those moments of clarity from the Lord. I'm not sure why Joshua was out at this particular moment. It doesn't really tell us a whole lot about the, the moment other than he's near Jericho and he's wandering around. It's before they're going to enter Jericho. And then this person appears before him. And he gets a moment of clarity, in a sense, before the battle. And I'll just point out that clarity from the Lord leads to confirmation of purpose. And I think Joshua's gotten a lot of confirmation, of purpose, and mission up until this point. This seems to be sort of this final moment before they go into Jericho that he receives from this stranger standing on the road. 
Joshua gets clarity. He's reminded of his mission. But what's important about this moment as they enter Jericho, and this will enter into next week's text too, so stay tuned, is that Joshua is once again reminded that God is not doing the work of Israel. Israel is doing the work of God in this moment. And that can't be reversed. And he gets confirmation. It's sort of like this final moment that in that in that purpose, in that mission that Israel fulfills, God has already won the victory. Israel's doing the work of the Lord at this point. God has won the victory. What's required of Israel now is bold obedience. That's why they continue to get this confirmatory word from God along the way. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous as you enter into the land. Jericho already belongs to the Lord. It's really up to Israel to do their part now to fulfill the mission. Clarity from the Lord leads to confirmation of purpose. But as we consider in broader context, just to remind ourselves, why are we going over Joshua right now as our sermon series? Um, as a church, and as churches in Lincoln, but we'll talk specifically about us, as a church, our mission has not changed, but the moment has. It continues to change. We call this We'll call it for convenience the post-COVID period, although I know it's the almost post-COVID period. We're not quite there. But for convenience, we'll call it that. The moment has changed. We need to be strong and courageous like Joshua to walk forward into that moment. Right? Joshua, in Joshua, they had a leadership change. They had new land. But it was the same mission. Just the scenery had changed in what they were supposed to do. And yet the temptation for the people had been at various times along this way to get to the promised land, to go back to Egypt. God had rescued them, but no, we had food back there. We had shelter. We had water. That was the temptation for a while. Then it would be to just kind of hang out in the desert forever and ever and ever in sort of semi-faithfulness to God. Then God finally gets them into the land and God dries up the manna. They can't eat the manna. They have to eat the food of the land now. You're here. They're in a new moment with the same mission. We are in a similar position as God's church. We're in a new moment, but with the same mission, same theology, different time, same mission, new land. We need to continue to prepare ourselves for what that means. And we don't know all the answers to what that means, but it, it very much reminded me as I worked on this, this week of the parable of the talents. And Jesus tells us in a couple different ways in the Gospels of investing really in people who follow him and giving them something by which they can invest uh, kingdom investment. And the ones that get a return, God says, hey, great, you did good. I'm going to invest more in you. You're going to see remarkable things because you're faithful with the gifts I've given you. And the people who don't are judged accordingly. And we need to be the same way in this moment. We need to be people who recognize that we have gifts and skills and abilities that God has given us some of which we realize and some of which we don't. And we want to make sure that we see clearly in this moment and see clarity in our mission together. God gives us confirmation of our purpose. But here's an important thing that we recognize in all of this. When we obey God's mission, God gives us encouragement by showing us signs of victory along the way. And that's what he does with the people as they enter into Jericho, into this battle. He shows them signs of victory, and it's those signs of victory that allow the people to be strong and courageous as they live out the mission. Now, come back to this idea of clarity and confirmation. Um, 
Have you ever prayed for clarity or asked for clarity from God, I said at the beginning. Now, let's get a little more closer to home, a little more challenging with that kind of thought. And maybe let's make it a third person, somebody we know, but not yourself. Do you know when, when somebody prays for confirmation or clarity from God, what kind of clarity are they actually praying for? What are they looking for? I would suggest that quite often we're looking for a word of convenience. We're looking for an easy word from the Lord. God, make it something that's not real challenging, but that gives me the stuff that I want, or the direction I thought I should have gone in the first place, or the thing that looks like my neighbor, or whatever it might be. But are we willing, if we're praying for clarity from the Lord, are we willing to receive a word from the Lord that calls us to more and also asks of us that we trust the Lord and have courage in a difficult task? If you go back to Joshua 5.14, Joshua has just asked, you know, are you for us or against us? And in 14, the, the angel of the Lord here says, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Joshua had clarity and confirmation, but we don't know, it doesn't tell us in the story, but there can often be that sort of, even when you're doing the right thing, even when you're walking the right path, you can have those moments of doubt. I know God's called me to this. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but, but is this really what I'm supposed to do? Has God really called me to this? Is, is it really going to work out like God called? It doesn't say that he had that, but I think God gives us those final moments of confirmation like that when we seek clarity in order to bolster us so we can walk forward in courage and faith. The angel of the Lord's army here, scholars kind of have sort of two camps, if you will, on what this is. I would suggest some of them, you know, say it's really a high-ranking angel, but quite a few of them say this is actually what's called a theophany, an appearance of God. And that, I think the evidence seems to lean very heavily in that direction. This is actually God appearing in some way before Joshua, as seems to be evidenced by the fact that he bows down in worship, um, and that how he addresses the angel. And, and it's interesting how he addresses the angel, Lord, and then he calls himself servant, so he recognizes in that moment that he's standing on holy ground, as he's told, but he recognizes his place as a servant to God. But more importantly, he recognizes God's authority. And I think that's a key thing. So if we go to the issue of clarity, if we ever ask for clarity from the Lord on what we're supposed to do in life, are we willing to receive a challenging word is one of the key questions. And more importantly, does clarity from the Lord lead you to live under God's authority? Because it's very easy for us to live in vagaries about God and keep God at arm's length and yet not want to live under the authority of God. And I'll use as an example um, the idea that many people find God out in nature, they say. They see God out there. And I, I, I experience God in creation too. That's, I'd rather call it creation than nature. Um, and if, if, for instance, I love to hike. If somebody said, let's go hiking right now, and they had a good hiking trail in mind, I'd be very tempted to walk out with them right now because I love to hike. I'm not going to. I love to hike, especially in the mountains. 
when you get those elevation changes, you get to see a just, and you do experience God's creativity, God's goodness as you're looking around at that. And a lot of people see that. And I think that's really remarkable. God gives us that gift of re- revealing himself in the world around us. But a lot of people are content to leave it at that because you can control that. God at arm's length. I can go where I want to go and see what I want to see and then not have to go too deep. And also, yes, God is revealed to some degree in the world around us, but only in a vague sense. We need something more specific and something more precise to tell us who God is and to decode that world. Because if, for instance, I'm, I'm hiking through uh, the forest on a nice day in Colorado and you smell the trees, the smell of ponderosa pine or something like that, it's just a gorgeous smell. Wow, God, if God's fragrance is like that, God is good. But then 10 steps later, if I see the partially eaten elk carcass from a mountain lion, I could also equally come to the idea that God is very awful if that's how he works. We need more precision. And of course, we get that from Scripture. That's how God has revealed himself to us. But are we willing to live under that authority? See, some people try and avoid this, the the nature thing, they try and keep it at arm's length. Some people try and avoid it by saying, oh, Scripture, I already kind of know what it says. Uh, Love and tolerance is what we often hear right now. I I know it just says that stuff. I don't need to read it. Or even further, um, it's like all those other religious books. It's just a guide not authoritative. And be careful, fellow church people, that's creeping into the church faster and faster as an idea, that Scripture is just a guide, not something we live under the authority of. Make sure we understand what we're doing with Scripture. We live under the authority of Scripture because God's given it authority. It's God's revealed Word to us, not simply a book by humans for humans. God has particularly revealed Himself in His Word, Jesus Christ. That's one of the most specific ways that God has revealed who He is. So it's really important, Joshua is not able to keep God at arm's length. He lives under the authority of God, and God has even given him that instruction early back in chapter 1. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Do not turn from the right or the left. That's living under the authority of God and of God's word. Joshua lived under that authority, and it resulted in courageous conviction in the mission. He's able to live it out because he knows what God wants, and he lives under that authority. So when he encounters this person on the road, he recognizes who it is. He recognizes how he's supposed to act and what he's supposed to do, and it gives him courageous conviction to move forward. He can be strong and courageous in that moment. Now, just as as a sort of separate second point that we can make, do you think Joshua would have liked it if God would have just said, you know what, you guys just order pizza tonight, and I'm going to give you Jericho. Everybody's going to leave overnight, and then you can just walk in and take it, do what I'm going to do. I mean, no pop and roll aids, no anxiety, no nothing like that. He can just go and do it. I'm sure he would have loved that to some degree. We'd all like that. That's that praying for clarity, but without any challenge to it. Okay, God, just give me what I want the way I want it. But the visit from the angel of the Lord was a sign of victory. That God had already won. It was a sign of victory that in obedience, God gave confidence for their mission ahead. If they simply obey, God says, I've already got this but you have to follow my instructions. You have to live under my authority, and it's taken care of. But it's going to require something of you. So let's go to the actual taking of Jericho. Verses, we'll go to chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and then 15 through 21, and then we'll see four sort of signs of victory that God gives in that. 
It says, starting at verse 1 of chapter 6, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone will go straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Let's skip to 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on the day, that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, ooh, better than that, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave the, a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Now we can read, we're going to talk a little bit more about that concept next week, um, and that's the idea of a ban or harem is what it is, uh, the devoted things in the city. It will come into play next week, so we'll compare and contrast a little bit. But why did God, as a basic question, why did God clear the land of the Canaanites before Israel could enter? We're going to answer that simply so we can kind of understand what God is doing. See, Israel was able in the past to exist with other nations and people groups around them. You can see a great example in Abraham and is working with other groups to rescue Lot when Lot is kidnapped and even giving offering to Melchizedek, the, the king of Salem. You can see that there's, there's obvious ways that they can work together. But the issue here is that the Canaanites, while God gives an opportunity, obviously Rahab takes up the opportunity for salvation. God leaves a remnant even in Canaan, if you will, but they're so far gone as a culture and society in depravity that God uses Israel to clean, clear out the land essentially of that impurity and that unholiness. And the reason is the nation of priests, Israel is to be a nation of priests to the rest of the world. They needed to be free of unholiness in the land in order to point the world back to God, to be a demonstration of who God is and God's holiness in order to call the world back. It's God's war, it's God's prerogative to do what God will with God's creation. That's why it's important that we recognize, we, even with the stranger at the beginning, Israel is doing God's work, God's battle, God's war. It's not the other way around. The idea is that ultimately through this mechanism, God would bring the world back home to him. Now, God gives four signs of victory within this text as they go into Canaan, as they go into Jericho to take it. 
And we can go through these in, in fairly short order. The first is the Ark of the Covenant. And here you're going to see it on the screen. Um, and you can even see me through it. That's kind of cool. Um, you guys can't see it. I can. The people online can see it. So the Ark of the Covenant went before the people. It was a visible representation of God leading the army into the charge. The Ark of the Covenant uh, inside had the tablets of the law. It had a little bit of manna in a jar, and then it had Aaron's staff as a recognition of what God had done and living under God's authority. On the top, you can see the cherubim that are there, um, and it's made of gold on the top, and that is the mercy seat on the top that that is representative of God's throne on earth among the people. As they carry this before them, they are following God into the battle. That's the representative uh, symbolic thing of what they're doing. And the ark marks visibly that this is God's victory, this is God's battle, that they walk in. You can see then next the ram's horns. The the Levites are following in front with the ram's horns. They're leading with the ram's horns, the shofar. Uh, We can lose the ark of the covenant now. Uh, the ram's horns go before them, and that's a call to battle. The shofar or the ram's horn could be used for a number of different things in the life of Israel, but in this specific context, and you can see that God uses these things in, in sort of distinctive ways. They're, they're everyday or every battle kind of objects, but God uses them in a specific way here. The call to battle would come through the ram's horn. That would be blown. They knew that they were going to call to arms and come in to battle. Each day they're sounding it in front of the ark, but yet there's no physical battle that goes on. God has already gone before them. The the horn sounds. God has already gone gone into battle and won the victory. It struck me, though, as I considered that, and as we consider that in relation to our mission as disciples who make disciples, um, where is God actually going before us? Where is something like the ark going before us in our lives? And where is the ram horn already sounding in people in our lives who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? I think that's something really worth considering, right, writing down even who is it that God has already prepared in my world, in my sphere of influence, who's already ready or even hearing the gospel in some way. God has already prepared the ground. Who needs me to step in now? Who is the Holy Spirit calling me to step in and say more and invite them to more of life with Christ? So the ram's horn, the Ark of the Covenant, those go before. And then you get the shouting. Shouting is, this is kind of like Braveheart standing on the top of the hill where they yell and run down the hill into the battle. That's what the shouting would be. That's kind of the the actual, really when the fight begins is when the shouting happens. But you notice the timing of the shouting. We didn't read verse 10, but let's read it now in chapter 6. It says, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout then shout, which is the seventh day after they've surrounded the city uh, and, and circled it seven times. Then they shout. It's the call to battle. Then they recognize God's already done this. Now God's called us to do this part of the work. It's not the way a normal battle would go. They really had to trust God through this whole process, that God had already won the victory, that God had won this. And finally, you get the, the circling of the city. By the way, by this point, how intimidating do you think this would be to the people of Jericho who are already melting in fear and had no courage? That these people come six days in a row and surround the city and walk behind this golden ark and then uh, they blow the horn and they just stand there. And that's the, that's the final piece. The fourth sign of victory is the circling of the city. So they do march around it, but, but the language is actually circling. So there's probably a sense in which they march and then make a circle around the city. 
And this really was one of the more fascinating things about a sign of victory that God gives here. Consider it like this. Uh, 20 years ago or so, I was working at Covenant Bible College, a small school in Colorado. I was a, like a dorm dad, pastoral care in the dorm, lived in the dorm. But I had to do some maintenance too. And I wasn't real handy at the time, but I was all they had most of the time. But sometimes we had volunteers. And so once or twice a month, I'd go into Fort Collins uh, and I'd get tools at, and things at Home Depot and supplies that we needed for either my work or somebody else's that needed to get done. And it really was uh, not that fun for me because one, I didn't know what I was doing. No, I wasn't very handy. I'm better now, but I wasn't very handy back then. And I didn't have a home or anything by which I would be inspired by the stuff here. Uh, but it's totally different when you actually have a place that you want to fix up and you walk into Home Depot. Does anybody else know this experience or Lowe's or Menards or wherever? You have things you want to fix up and you walk in and you're like, oh, the possibilities, right? Uh, this is amazing. This is a, a wonderland here that I'm in. That's kind of where they're at right now. It's, it's sort of like watching the home shows and realizing what you can do with the place. The language that's actually used about circling the city, and it gets used later on in Scripture too, so this kind of confirms it is as if they already own it and they're sizing it up. That's the language. As if you've already paid, put the down payment on the house and now you're walking through with the inspector. As if you're thinking, I would put the couches here and the flowers here and I would move this around and I would clean this up. That's the kind of, it's the, it's the ownership, essentially. We just haven't taken it over yet. We haven't signed the deed yet. That's the language. God gives them that sign of victory. Seven days, or six days of that, and the seventh day, they finally do it. They stand there as if they own it because God's already won the victory, and then they shout, and then the walls crumble, and then they can go in and take ownership of what God has already given them. Those are the signs of victory that God gives, and when we obey God, we see, when we obey God's mission, we see signs of victory like this. And so if we apply this kind of thing to our own situation and our own lives, let's just say first and foremost that God is true to his promises. Any witnesses in the house on that? God is true to his promises. God delivered them. God brought them into the promised land. They were obedient. They had their struggles. And the temptation for these people, even though God was good in his promises, the temptation was for people to be half-hearted in the mission. Yeah, God's going to give us the promised land. We'll, we'll passively walk into it and whatever. But God would have none of that. God made them consecrate themselves. God made them prepare. God gave them signs of confirmation and victory along the way to say, I want you wholeheartedly following my mission and going in to take the land because it's not going to work any other way. I've already won the victory, but I need to win, win the victory in you as well to go in and take the land. So as we think about it in our own thing, in our own situation, in a new time and a new place with the same mission, can I just say that the challenge probably before us is that we might need to pray more and pray differently about our mission. It hasn't changed, but the world around us has. Habits around us have, and I know I've said this many times in previous sermons this year already, but I think we need to make sure that we're a more praying people about that. Go to Monday night and pray at the Monday night prayer group. Join together and pray more often and differently about this, but can you and I together make sure that we seek the Lord for clarity in our mission more than we ever have in a long time, to be disciples who make disciples. Can we, can we commit to that as God's people more than we have? That we will pray specifically that we would be disciples who make disciples in this world, looking for those signs of victory around us. Can you and I work together to ask one another more often, how goes your walk with Christ? And importantly, to be able to publicly share that with one another. 
Oh, my fellow introverts, we have a hard time sharing that, but that encourages us when we hear the work of God. You know, even singing this morning of the goodness of God, and, and I knew when they were rehearsing that I'd, I'd just needed to stop and listen to all of you. You sounded great this morning. But experiencing the goodness of God and even healing this week in our own family, that's public testimony of God's goodness. We need more of that. We need more of that. We need to hear the signs of victory of what God is doing. We need to hear the signs of victory of kids who'd never opened the Bible until last September, opening the Bible for the first time. We need to hear signs of victory like that, don't we? That God is working in our midst. We need to hear that publicly from one another. How goes your walk with Christ? And can we share that together as God's people? And can I ask that you and I not be afraid to live under the authority of God's word even when it's difficult? That we continue that walk forward even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable. And if we think about it in terms of what was going on with the change that happens, there are an awful lot of things, we don't know all the answers to this, but there are an awful lot of ways that we can't go back to what was before COVID as far as how we function as God's people. We don't know all the answers to how that's going to work out for the effectiveness of our mission, but what could God do if we stop trying to eat the manna that's no longer coming and start feasting on the food of the land that God has given us? And God's given us signs of victory in our midst. What if we continue to share those with one another and see what God is up to and live under his authority into whatever he's doing with the same mission in a new land? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to be strong and courageous for you. We want to be disciples who walk as close to your son, Jesus Christ, as possible, becoming like him. And we want to have an outward focus that looks out at people who don't know him yet because we know that this whole world needs to hear. Just like Israel is brought into the new land to be a demonstration of who you are, God, may we be a demonstration of what your kingdom is. And may we be so bold and courageous as to invite others in because we know that this is the only place where life abundant is found. God, give us the strength and courage. Give us the prayer life that even asks the right questions. Give us the clarity of thought that hears what you're delivering to us, not simply what we want to hear, so that we eat the food that you've given us and are strengthened and nourished for the mission ahead. May we be disciples who make disciples. Amen.